Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. iTrust is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HighTrustAlliance.net. Archer empowers organizations to manage multiple dimensions of risk on one platform with on-premises and software-as-a-service offerings and quickly implement industry standard processes and best practices for advanced risk management maturity, informed decision-making, and enhanced business performance. Learn more at archerirm.com. Marco. Sean. Can you smell it? What, the flyer? The ice. <laughs> is that it's, that cold there? It is uh, It is cold. actually cold here today. Enough, but uh, no, no ice nor snow that I can see. But that's, uh, that's kind of the point I want to make here is that sometimes you can't easily sniff out the stuff you want and uh, not always easy to spot if you're looking for it uh, visually. And sometimes you have to go hunting, hunting for ice, Marco. Yeah, I I have a feeling lately, I don't know if it's just me, but we have many conversations about hunting. And uh, I'm not a fan, exactly a fan <laughs> of hunting. I'm not a hunter myself. But this hunting, it seems like it's something that is getting a certain relevance in our conversation in redefining security. If you remember, just last week, we went hunting, threat hunting, and I'm breaking what, what the topic is here in the cloud, and uh, and now we're back at hunting again. We're back hunting, and the cloud might get involved, but uh, I think we're going to broaden the, the scope here yeah. and look at detection processes in the SOC and how threat hunting plays a role and how teams can set themselves up to uh, succeed in, in that endeavor. And, uh, of course, nobody wants to hear me talk about it because I have no idea what I'm saying. No. So, we're thrilled to have on uh, again as a guest, uh, George Platsis, and he brings with him a fellow guest uh, to have a conversation all around sock and threat hunting. Brittany Sadler joins as well. George and Brittany, thank you so much for being part of this. Sean, Marco, thank you as always for inviting myself and my colleagues. This is a fantastic opportunity to continue talking about many of the elements that uh, the cybersecurity and the information security world faces. Um, as some of your previous listeners may know, I focus right now primarily on proactive incident response and resiliency measures. So it's, if you want to call it left of the boom or pre-boom. And I think, uh, part of the conversation that we're going to have today with my fantastic and 
talented colleague, Brittany, is uh, what threat hunting can do to help you avoid that boom. It's, uh, I, I'm, I'm certainly thrilled to talk about this. Uh, Brittany, I'm sure, is going to steal the show, but my view is if you can avoid the incident, um, that's probably the better position to be in. And uh, I look extremely forward to this and I'm going to hand over to Brittany and then we're going to get chatting about uh, how, how to stop what we can by hunting out the bad guys. Oh, thank you for having me on the podcast today and excited to talk about threat hunting. I kind of started off in uh, a sock and moved to threat hunting a couple of years ago. And it's a really exciting topic for me uh, to discuss and happy to share my experience with anyone listening. We are excited to hear that. I want to start, if you don't mind, Sean, because... Uh, I do mind, but go it, ahead. It, it, it's one of... Thank you. It's, it's one of those things that... It did take I, long to start the banter between you two. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's why we get on together. So we, we have a lively conversation. Now, I want to jump on what you said, George, because it's what my grandfather used to say, and it's better to be safe than sorry. <laughs> and I think that... That it could be the, the main reason why you want to do threat hunting before the bad stuff happens and then you have to react. So, Shauna, why don't we just start with uh, with that? Yeah, and I think, I mean, I'm, I'm a visual thinker. So I was thinking left a boom. I'm, I'm picturing, I don't know, uh, a, a timed bomb and uh, some <laughs> fancy TV show or movie where somebody's trying to decipher what's going on with the bomb, what, what's going to make the timer stop, <laughs> which wires do you cut, or which path do you take through a minefield, which uh, who knows where the mines are. I mean, so many analogies I can, I can pull on there. What I, what I want to do is, Marco noted, kind of get a view of what detection means in the SOC. I'm glad you, you actually started in the SOC, and then you said you moved to threat intelligence which leads me to believe that maybe threat intel or threat hunting, sorry, doesn't uh, sit in the sock. So what? maybe if you can start, Brittany, by what's the overall detection process in the sock look like in terms of what tools do we use, scripts do we use, are there defined processes and policies where you, you can go this far or not this far, and then ultimately where does threat hunting fit in? I know it's going to be a mouthful, so just... Just roll with it, take us down a, a journey of what's going on in the sock from a detection perspective. Lead us, lead us to uh, threat hunting. George, jump in as well if you have uh, some additional points to add. Such a, such a long question, so I'll try not to <laughs> drone on about it. But um, usually in the sock, you want to have higher fidelity detections, right? You want analysts to be able to respond quickly to what's going on in the environment and it's known threat. So you don't want to have a lot of just alerts, but you want stuff that is, you know, needs immediate detection. So a lot of, you know, SOCs have a SIM where analysts have their eyes on it and are constantly looking at what what alerts are coming in and digging into those. You know, depending on the environment, you might have different networking logs going in there, EDR logs. Also, if you have a cloud environment, you might have those being forwarded to your SIM as well. Um, so Lots of different tools. Um, also, I guess there's you know more of the automation now with the XOR and different SOAR, SOAR options to kind of help leverage that and playbooks. Um, but the goal is really to 
you know, find those known threats, respond to them. If there are things that are false positive, um, you know, mark those to further um, improve detections um, so that you do have those quicker responses and can remediate those known threats quickly. Uh, whereas threat hunting is a lot different um, where you kind of want to proactively identify threats. Uh, so it's looking for those unknown unknowns. So things you don't actually have, you know, rules written for or scripts. It's not like AV signatures um, that are out there to let you know that this activity is going on in your environment. So with that, you're you're still looking similar across similar tools or data sets. Um, personally, from my experience, um, we use a lot of EDR data just because that gives you a lot of visibility into what's happening on endpoints, what's running, and every, everyone knows, you know, malware, bad things happening. Um, you're going to see that run on the endpoint at some point, whether it's the process data or seeing those network connections out from that endpoint. So a good place to start um, for threat hunting. And could you, uh, before we move on, uh, you mentioned EDR. I'm just wondering if you could uh, spell that acronym out and maybe describe what that is. Uh, oh, thank you for that. I think I use too many acronyms. There's so many of them out there. Uh, as an the industry, we, uh, we do that. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so the endpoint detection and response uh, tool. So you have a lot of different vendors for them. Uh, you know, Carbon Black, FireEye, Ajax, uh, CrowdStrike. But essentially, it's an agent that's on an endpoint, so computer or server, and it tracks you know all the processes running on the machine, uh, network connections, things like that. So it provides a lot of valuable data to the analyst kind of lets you see the whole process of, you know, what happened when, if it made network connections or file modifications or registry modifications for those Windows machines. And George, uh, go back to that better be safe than sorry. And from a business perspective, and then maybe we'll get more in details about how the threat hunting actually worked. But wouldn't it be that the business would want always to be safer than sorry, or it's uh, it's just me being it idealistic? Uh, that's a fantastic question, Marco. It's uh, <laughs> you you would think that though, based on behavior that we have seen, uh, certain entities prefer to take on risk, and it goes back to something that we've we've mentioned uh, on a few episodes right now. It it really has to do with your risk tolerance. Um, you know, this is a challenge that CISOs and risk officers and quite candidly that the entire C-suite and the board is going to need to deal with. It's how much risk do you want to take on? Now, if you want to mitigate that risk, you know, the, the threat hunting and the SOC operations, uh, they're definitely going to play a role in your level of investment and your support. So you can say you want to do all of these things. They may sound great, but you need that senior level backing. You need that champion. You need someone who's going to be approving your budgets. Uh, so even for people in the SOC, you know, normally not always you can say they're going to reply up to a CISO or maybe a CTO. Uh, these individuals need to be able to arm the people above them 
with the business case for what they need. So like one thing that I thought was really interesting that Brittany was talking about was all these different tools that are coming in and all these alerts uh, we've seen in the industry. You, I know you guys have talked about it in separate episodes as well, is that there is burnout, there is fatigue going on in the industry. So I think it's critical when you're integrating and ingesting all these tools and all this data, it's not only to have tools upon tools upon tools, because at that point you you may just be getting onto that house of cards. It's tuning them once so they are configured well with each other, but perhaps more importantly right now, I think you need to have the situational awareness of what does normal in your organization look like? You know, it's it's your organization, it's your industry. Uh, you may be in an industry that is very attractive to a set of um, bad actors. That could mean that you're going to be getting a lot of alerts. That may be very normal for your organization, whereas a different organization, they may have something completely different that like the odd alert is enough to, uh, to pull the fire alarm. So I think, and I'll let Brittany speak to this a little bit more, is that having that number one, your risk tolerance, but also understanding what's normal for you. Because once you realize what's normal for you, that's when you can actually start to train a whole bunch of your tools. Like if you're looking at your uh, user and entity behavior analytics, if you're going down that road, if you're going into AI, uh, you can figure these in a way that matches your organization's business. And that's something that security professionals always need to keep in mind. It's what's the business? What's driving it? We don't live in a, we don't live in a security only world. There is some business behind it. And that's what needs to be supported. Yep. So the, the burning question for me, Brittany, because we've talked a lot about processes and tons of data, uh, alert fatigue, and a bunch of tools, hopefully that uh, collect the right data and, and analyze it and sh- sort it and filter it and categorize it and all the other stuff that a SIM or SOAR might do. Um, why threat hunting? How come those tools don't do what we need them to automatically? I think threat hunting in the tools is very difficult just because you're looking for those unknowns, right? Attackers are always changing their tactics and how they go about achieving a certain action. So while, you know, a lot of tools are good at, you know, known things and signatures, or even you have some that do the behavioral analysis, sometimes uh, it's missing other activity in your environment. So really having analysts that, you know, leverage the tools, use some automation to make the processes better and easier um, to go through those large data sets for threat hunting. Um, But having analysts actually look at it and find the anomalies or outliers using some you know, behavioral-based detections, um, looking kind of at those broader things to identify potential threats early on before your other detection capabilities identify them, or even, you know, things that are missed by by the tools you have in your environment. And I'm, I'm, I'm picturing, and maybe George, you can you can jump on this, but I'm, I'm picturing a bunch of people, guys and gals, sit, I don't know if they sit physically in the sock or if they're off in a different room somewhere, just off looking for stuff and i'm wondering is it really wild wild west hunting style or is it we're following a playbook and 
something weird is going on here. It's not matching the, the playbook exactly. We're missing a piece of information or something's going on. And that's exactly where where I wanted to go with what uh, Brittany was talking about, what the analysts are doing. I, I am going to, and I will defer to those who know better, but I will talk from some investigations that I've done because I, I've, I've done the, the post, like lo lo looking at the evidence, looking at the forensics and seeing what's there. You still need to have a type of curiosity, an, an innate investigative mind that I feel applies to both a proactive uh, search or hunt, but also uh, a forensic post investigation. Um, if you're going by the book, let's just take this scrap for a moment the entire cyber side and network and let's just look at this at more of a uh, a war planning strategic methodology uh, you can apply it to different industries or whatever you like if you're going off a playbook the entire time your adversaries will pick up that playbook sooner or later and they will work around it so how, how does that how is that possible How's that possible? They, they just they just see they're being detected it's, and blocked all it, the same way it, all the time. Or? Sean, it, it it's observation. It's uh, like let's think of a battlefield. If you are going through the same exercises and, sa and the same moves all the same time, and you are not innovating, if you're not showing any curiosity, if you're not trying to say elude what can happen, it's. We want to do as many repeatable processes as you can, and I'm a big fan of that, but that not at the cost of completely uh, sacrificing our innovation or our curiosity, because you know what? Something that may look normal each and every time, maybe it's not normal. Maybe that is the pattern that the actor is trying to replicate. Maybe they've learned your, your tactics so well, they're making you see they're making you think what you see, excuse me, as nothing there when really they're there. Okay, so I'm going to pass to Brit to uh, Brittany here because we mentioned Wild West and the element of surprise. So you want to follow a method, but you want to be creative and curious. So there, there is a method to this madness. <laughs> I'd like to know which one is that, like the process? Yeah, uh, great question. Um, I think, you know, a lot of programs start out Wild West, right? Um, you have your sock and eventually you start searching for things in downtime or you have one incident and look for, you know, those IOCs uh, across your environment and trying to track them. Um, but with the Wild West, it's really hard to have a good grasp or good picture of these things going on in your environment and baselining. So with hunting, um, there's kind of a maturity and you develop over time. So initially it might kind of start out at that Wild West and hunting when you have downtime or hunting for, you know, IOCs you saw in other incidents on an endpoint. Um, but over time to make it efficient, and also, as you kind of touched on earlier, you know, showing the value to leadership and the business need, you have to kind of develop a process to be able to show the value of hunt. Um, so, you know, whether that's defining 
how your hunt program set up, what resources you're going to allocate to it, right? You need to have someone who can actually do the hunting. Um, so some kind of person or staffing um, to really run that and to look in your environment. You also need to define the data that you need to have effective hunts. Like if you want to hunt for lateral movement, what kind of logs would you need to, to see the activity, right? Maybe some network logs, uh, possibly like endpoint logs um, to really be able to effectively see that in your environment. If you don't have the logs, even if the activity is in the environment, you're not going to find it while threat hunting. Um, so really kind of defining those criteria up front of how to enable it. And then also a process around the actual hunting activity. There's a lot of different things you could hunt for, right? This kind of goes to the innovation piece. Adversaries are always changing their tactics. So you have to continually develop new hypothesis, like how would an attacker do this? What would I want to look for? Or what do I think an attacker is going to do? And how can I find that? So that's really the innovation piece, keeping up with the different attacks that are going on, um, and Brenda, figuring out you, how you... Oh, sorry, sorry Kajia, I'm, I'm just wondering, are there any examples you can share of where threat hunting comes in handy, where tools and processes tend to, tend to fall over? Specific types of ransomware, what, 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 are, what are you looking for? Or is it not specific like that? And I'm just thinking about it wrong. Is there something you're looking for specifically? Yeah, that's a, a great question. Um, so it can be things like ransomware, you know, and it can also be really defined by the business. So I've done hunts focused on ransomware, also based on tactics, right? Maybe the lateral movement or execution kind of mapping to MITRE to maybe show, you know, threat hunting based on some of those tactics. Also, you know, maybe you had a red team activity and it showed, or like a red team test, and it showed that you might not have good detections for, for a certain thing, like maybe data exfil. So maybe you want to hunt for that. Maybe you want to look at the data sources you have and hunt across those to find, you know, any threats for that gap that the red team, um, you know, noticed. Or if there's a new CTI report that pertains to, you know, the industry of an organization and they want to see if maybe that attacker has any of those techniques in their environment, you know, so... And CTI, Define. sorry, you can CTI is, uh, and is that also, well, what is CTI and how does that relate to maybe an ISAC or an ISL data set? Or maybe your like cyber threat intelligence team. So, you know, a lot of companies, they will have a specific team dedicated to that to put out reports. And maybe that's where you want to pull your hypothesis from for threat hunting. Does that answer your Got question, John? Yeah, yeah, it does. Sorry. And so, uh, one one theory that I think, or or one methodology, excuse me, that I think is helpful here, and it, and it comes out of uh, it's a military strategy. There was a U.S. Uh, fighter pilot colonel, I believe his name was uh, uh, Boyd, John Boyd. There we go. And some of your listeners maybe have heard of this. It's called the OODA loop. And I think it's a great methodology that you could do for any sort of operation. So the history of the OODA loop was, uh, I believe it was like, a, and here's the acronym for it, uh, observe, orient, decide, and act. And it was a fighter pilot strategy. Uh, I think it's great. I've used it in, in many different 
parts of my life and business world. And, and I do believe it applies well to threat hunting also because you're always looking for like, hey, where, where's the where's the next fighter pilot? Where where's the next plane coming from? So you could be observing in your observations here. You're you're just collecting your all your information. It could be from your sim. It could be from uh, your logs. Your your various different systems. You know, then then you actually want to orient it and process that information and see what you could do to uh, do with it. Um, are you seeing signs of an attack, for example? Uh, and that's where you come to your decision point. Your decision point, and, and in the orientation, I should just take a step back for a second. That's where you may get a little bit of that innovation, that creativity, that curiosity that we were talking about uh, previously. You go to decide, you see what's there, you make your move, and then you act. You know, is this an attack that's going on, or no? Do we just go and flip back to observation again? We take a new round of data and keep ingesting it and seeing what's going on. So as a methodology, I think that's that's one way that uh, threat hunters could take advantage of that. And Brittany, it's, uh, if, if you agree or disagree, you know, this is a look. I'd love to know what you think about that strategy too. Yeah, I definitely think that's a, a great strategy and I never heard that before, but I like it. Um, so yeah, definitely, you know, kind of the observing um, definitely plays into threat hunting and orienting yourself, kind of baselighting the environment and then, you know, reacting to that too. So even if you, you know, are searching for certain activity and orienting yourself and like, this is attack or behavior, or this isn't, um, deciding what to do with that information, capture it to help make decisions in the future. Right. Um, so even the absence of something you're looking for can help, um, you know, drive decisions or provide some context on what's happening in the environment, what might not be there. Also, even detecting other other gaps um, while looking around. Yeah, you know, I, I I look at threat hunting as thinking outside the box. You need that those almost like again, I go back into that chaos that that you need to see what what is a pattern. And, and the first thing that come into my mind is how, maybe George, you want to tell me your opinion on this, is how, how does it fit the threat hunting in the overall perception of security where everything is about checking the box, um, installing a, a system, a defense system that hopefully you cross your finger is going to do everything by itself <laughs> and you're super sure. secure. I, I mean, how is the business f accepting this big question marks and unknown that comes with hunting in front of big investment that they have done in security. Wow, what, what a fantastic question. Um, uh, I'm going to lean a little bit more on my emergency management experience here. And that is your greatest successes are never known or recognized. You know, if you do everything that you're supposed to do, you avoid the emergency. That's a really tough sell from a business perspective that, hey, I need you to invest in X amount of dollars, you know, Y amount of full-time employees. And the result of that will be you'll get normal business operations. There's a, that's a really, really tough sell um, if you cannot demonstrate the value of it. Now, today we're seeing more, we're seeing breaches that are, 
are expanding further. I think it's finally on the radar. I think you're seeing some compliance issues. I think you're seeing uh, items like from like the SEC. I think I may have mentioned this in a previous uh, podcast on reporting periods. You know, more senior people are faced with liability. So, you know, that you got on your positive side, this is good business. You protect your systems. You don't have any interruption of your services. On the negative side, people higher up are being asked to account or being forced to account if, uh, to, to be a little bit more precise there. So it is in their interest, both per- personally and to the organization as a fiduciary duty, that they need to look at these proactive steps. And really, I, I, I do see the threat hunting as being a very proactive step. I love something that Brittany said. Sometimes it's the absence of markers is the marker itself. Yeah, I love that too. If if you don't have this visibility, if you don't have this insight, you really are going into your business blind. Um, it's the nature of business having changed. Um, I'm hopeful that you know we're seeing these that with these widespread vulnerabilities, you'll see some more investment in there. But then I think the flip side of this, you know, it turns into a bit of a snowball. With all these IoT devices, you got 5G deployments, you're gonna see edge deployments. It almost turns into like this, this cycle that it keeps on eating and eating itself after a while. It's like at, at some point you gotta say, hey, stop, I, I can't invest this much in security because it's eating 50% of my operating budget. You know, I'm, I'm using an extreme example to show it there. But at the same time, what what is a reasonable amount of risk that we are willing to accept? and allow our business to operate and the informing that comes from the SOC, it comes from the threat hunters, it comes from industry analysis, your intelligence reports. These people need to feed in to the CISOs, into the C-suite and say, hey, this is a good business decision right now because we can reasonably predict with all these steps, we will have a reduced reduction uh, to our business. That's the approach that I take. You're not going to get this perfect. If you're going in there and saying you're going to get it perfect, uh, I'm not going to believe you. It's going to be, show me, don't <laughs> tell me. It's too good to be true. <laughs> well, Brittany, I, I want to get your, your perspective here because I'm thinking that kind of to George's point, you have to demonstrate success, but in doing so, you, you might expose um I don't want to say failures, but certainly weaknesses in other areas, perhaps, where you do expect the tools and the people and the processes to, to be doing something. So how do you how do you get that balance right in the context of the business where you can actually demonstrate value to them? Yeah, that's an excellent question. I think George made a lot of really good points. Um, sometimes it's hard uh, to do the business case for threat hunting, right? Because you're not always going to find a threat in your environment so showing the other value added so with threat hunting you know you do find some of those gaps maybe it's you know a compliance issue somebody installed you know a potentially unwanted application or there's just things in the environment that you know violate some of the compliance policies Um, and you know you come across those things while hunting so you know, reporting those up to kind of give awareness um, to the risk team about those, or even 
you know, configurations that may not be the best. Um, so I know uh, from from experience with my coworkers, you know, they were hunting in an environment and they were looking for execution of macros. And, you know, the, the company was very sure they had this GPO or group policy setting that prohibited um, macros from being executed in the environment. But during hunting, they found that. So they were able to remediate that configuration and the issue with the group policy to fix that. Um, also, just, you know, other gaps you might see, like maybe not having the best log sources um, or, you know, just things you can't detect within the log sources you have available. So as part of that kind of process we were talking about earlier, one of the big things is having that phase um, for metrics or a way of communicating the value up to the business to show them, you know, these are the things that hunting can provide. These are the areas where you could improve your security posture and also working with those other teams. Um, you know, you want to work with, you know, maybe the SOC or the engineering team when you're hunting and you see something that's pretty reliable to help create new detections. Because, I mean, it's all in the goal of protecting the business, right? So you want your threat hunting to interact with the other teams and to provide value as a whole to the company. I'll let you guys jump in. I know I've been talking a lot. No, this is good. I want to hear from, uh, from George on this as well. Thanks, Sean. Uh, I'm going to take the approach from trying to do a bit of an upsell and trying to get some buy-in. So security for most organizations is a cost. You know, it, 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 it's on the... It, it's on the income statement, you know, it's on the bottom of the line, you know, it's drawing away an operational expense. So how do you get your superiors to buy in to invest more when it's already on there? I think if you're, if you're making the case that you're already spending money for security, you can say the advantage of using threat hunting is that with this upfront investment, you're actually going to see an improvement on what you already have. So how, how are some, what are some of those improvements that you can see? I'd say, you know what, if we're doing the threat hunting, it could help reduce our investigation time. You know, we have a better sense of what our network is. We have a better sense of where our holes are. So if there is an incident, you know, we, we know how to get where we need to go faster as opposed to, hey, the fire, you know, there's a fire, we need to figure it out. We see the smoke, but we don't know where the source is. Threat hunting probably can give you a better sense of knowing where the source is when you actually have that. Um, concurrently, another upsell here is as you're a threat, uh, as you are hunting along, you can identify not only existing threats, but potentially new threats. Again, this cuts down your response time. So we were talking earlier about like the pre-boom. This is all pre-boom work that if you will get popped, and let's be honest and candid, you know, it's a matter of when, not if. I think the industry has pretty much accepted that. That critical time after the pop, how long is that? What's going on in that time? The threat hunting and the knowledge that you acquire, at, you know you know your systems well, you know your, to, uh, your tools well, you have the personnel behind that, you reduce that impact time if you've done these things properly. So that's another upsell. And of course, I think threat hunting, and Brittany, feel free to 
back me up on this one is it's going to give you a better sense of your defensive posture it's going to find holes you know you're not you're not going flat out and red teaming yourself but the threat the threat hunt itself helps you improve your defensive posture and say hey you know what maybe there maybe there's a hole here that we need to plug so that's how that, that's how i think you know you, you can use you can make the business case these are just a few of the recommendation areas that you can upsell and say hey a little bit more investment on this can go a really long way i love it and and Brittany, uh, I suspect it's not all uh, flowers and candy and, and chocolate and roses and all this stuff. It, it's a lot of hard work. <laughs> um, where do you see most of the challenges coming for organizations that decide to spin up threat hunting? Yeah, it definitely has its challenges. Um, <laughs> So as I was saying earlier, it's kind of that maturity, like building it out, right? Like at first you might not know what to hunt for. Um, you know, you might not have those hypotheses, like what are you going to look for? Where are you going to look for it? Uh, making sure you have that data. Um, so some of those things initially are, are really challenging and also putting that process around it. Like how are you going to hunt? Who's going to be doing the hunting? How are you going to continue that? Are you going to have cycles of, you know, hunt for four weeks, report, or, you know, and then plan? Because you also want to capture those lessons learned to continue to mature, right? Because each time you do something, you learn a few tricks, learn a better way of doing it, or identify the gaps. Um, so making sure you have that process in place can be be a challenge if you don't already have one. Um, also, you're just dealing with, a lot of data. So you're, you know, proactively trying to look through these big data sets um, to find things of interest and figuring out exactly what to hunt for and how broad you want to look can be a challenge. Um, you know, for example, you know, PowerShell is used a lot by adversaries or I think they're moving away from it a little bit just because it's known, but, you know, looking at all PowerShell activity in your environment, you know, you would see any attacker activity if they were using PowerShell, but that's a lot of data to go through depending on the environment. So kind of having those overlaps of how you would hunt for that um, and kind of planning that out. Um, and also just having tools in place um, to kind of automate some of those things to get the data in front of an analyst so they can look at it and correlate it or, you know, enriching some of the data, um, you know, with like virus total intelligence or, endpoint data from your asset database to kind of provide context to analysts um, because you know if a administrator in the network's using powershell it's probably a little bit of a different perspective than if a user in marketing is using powershell um, so i think those are some of the challenges just you know making sure you can do good analysis having the details you need in front of you as far as the data and just knowing where to start and having those hypotheses so you can have effective things you're hunting for and then the reporting at the end to actually show valued um, so that, you know, that information is communicated to other teams and leadership to help drive all of cyber operations and improve over time. And, and I'm going to stay with you, Brittany, because this role seems superhuman to me almost. And then you, you have to have, 
versatility at the network layer, deep understanding of the OS. Um, certainly the applications play a role. Um, data science seems like it plays a role here. Uh, certainly engineering and, and scripting. Are, are all those skills and requirements for a good threat hunter? And, and am I missing any? <laughs> All those skills are definitely um, great to have. <laughs> um, you know, analysis is definitely a big thing. Um, being able to understand what's normal in your environment and what's the anomaly or what might be bad, also attacker activity. Um, so the <laughs> nice part of having a team doing threat hunting is you can bring people with different backgrounds to kind of bring all those skills together. Um, you know. Automating some of the processes make it easy. If you have a, like a, a super smart engineer, maybe to come up with some some scripts or some, you know, like in Splunk, some dashboards to make it easier for analysts to review the data. And then they can kind of focus on the analysis part of knowing the process and the different operating systems. Um, but it's definitely a, a job where you want to have passion for cybersecurity and always be learning. If I could just jump one, one characteristic that I would personally love to see, and I'm going to draw on uh, something that happened to me. I, and I was on an investigation on, on the post side that I, when I got pulled on, I was like, why do you want me? I, I don't really have these skills that you need for this type of investigation. And the response was, well, you have an inquisitive mind. It's that curiosity. And I'm like, okay, I, I can see that. And apologies if any of your listeners are hearing some drum beating in the background. That's just actually rain slapping on the window. Uh, but the, uh, I think you can't be too married in your methodologies. You need to have a certain way of going through them, but you need to be able to cast a wide net and have that curiosity, almost like, like it could get their first lego playset and tries to build something so i i would add that as a characteristic there too well it sounds to me that is a job for an artificial intelligence that is going to resolve all the problem and it's a superhuman solution but of course i'm being sarcastic and this will be the conversation maybe for an entire new episode to see how advanced technology and the way that is sold it could or ever could ever really i don't think so uh, substitute the, the humans the <laughs> exactly exactly so i, I don't want to open another can of worms here of of artificial intelligent worms but it, it's definitely something in the back of my mind and sean i don't know maybe maybe it will be food for thoughts for for a different podcast but um i think we cover quite a lot of ground here as we were hunting Hey, minutes. Marco, how, how's this one for you? You know, this is, I, I'm completely making this up on the fly right now, and I don't know if it will obey the laws of physics. But <laughs> uh, with advers adversaries using AI, will you have the threat hunting capability to detect a AI? You know, will they be leaving like algorithm signatures behind? Will they be leaving a little bit, uh, some trails behind? I don't know. But it's just, again, this is kind of the inquisitive side of it. Well, with threat actors using artificial intelligence, can yep. you hunt that out? 
that's why I want to leave this for an entire different conversation let's, because let's start it now. <laughs> I found it very fascinating, and I'm sure even uh, you know the, the the feedback could be can be of going all over the places, and we probably cross into the realm of sci-fi and future cybersecurity wars. So. Yeah. Sean, so, stop me. Stop yeah, me I'm gonna, because I'm, I'm going there. Because, <laughs> because the other thing with that that type of conversation, I think it's extremely fascinating and one that we have to prepare for. Uh, it, it might overwhelm a lot of our listeners to say, screw it. I'm not, <laughs> I'm gonna, I, I can't even start because I'm, I'm not going to win with my first step. So I'm going to give Brittany the final word here to kind of bring it back down to ground for us. What's What's one thing an organization can do if they're considering a threat hunting role as part of their uh, detection and, and response program? I think the big thing is to, you know, identify your process and realize that, you know, just starting down the threat hunting journey is a good place to be. As, you know, time goes on, you'll mature, uh, you'll learn better ways of hunting. Um, you know, you don't have to worry about all the AI threat hunting at this point, <laughs> um, even just, you know, proactively looking for threats by using a hypothesis and, you know, understanding the data you have can add value to your organization. I love it. I love it. There's always a way to start. And uh, I appreciate you sharing that with us, Brittany and, and George. Thank you for, for joining this conversation as well and uh, bringing your insights. Um, yeah, your, your background has, has a lot to, uh, lot to share here as well. So appreciate both of you. And hopefully uh, those listening took took a few elements away that they can either apply to their existing program or uh, shore themselves up as they begin to pursue their own journey on threat hunting. Archer empowers organizations to manage multiple dimensions of risk on one platform with on-premises and software as a service offerings and quickly implement industry standard processes and best practices for advanced risk management maturity, informed decision-making, and enhanced business performance. Learn more at archerirm.com. HITRUST is a leading data protection standards development and certification organization that strives to safeguard sensitive information and manage information risk for global organizations across all industries and throughout the third-party supply chain. Learn more at HITRUSTALLIANCE.NET. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share ITSPMagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. <laughs>